Content warning for today's episode. This episode may contain foul language or content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California, and I use she, her pronouns. My co-host, Dr. Taylor Garcia, can't be with us tonight, unfortunately. But today, I have with me Ellie Dote. So I met Ellie last year when she was asked to come share her story with my daughter's Girl Scout troop as a part of World Thinking Day. The themes were diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ellie was born Daryl Dote and traveled a long, hard path to reach her truth as a transgender lesbian woman who also has a deep and beautiful faith in Christianity. I invited Ellie to come onto the podcast today to talk about parenting LGBTQ plus kids. So hi, Ellie. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, I love I love talking to you. Like I know since we met, uh, oh my gosh, it's been almost a year now, I think. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I know we've had a lot of conversations about LGBTQ being that we're both members of that community and we have kids that are part of that community. So I know that you and I have had a lot of personal conversations about all that. And I thought bringing that to our listeners um, might be really nice because- being able to hear from people who are part of that community and are also raising kids who are in that community. It's it's kind of um, sort of an interesting dynamic. Some A lot of times it's one or the other. Yes, definitely. I can't, I still can't believe that it's been almost a year. Yeah, it's been almost a year. Um, so let me start by asking, uh, how many kids do you have and how old are they? I have three kids. I have a 22-year-old, he's my oldest son. Um, I have an 18-year-old trans daughter and a 17-year-old non-binary kid. Okay, cool. So um, for our listeners, I have two kids. I have a six and a half year old uh, little girl, and I have a four and a half year old uh, gender fluid kiddo. And Ellie, you were actually a huge part of us being able to to verbalize and have that conversation with Teddy and oh. and really confirm Teddy's gender identity. Um, you opening up at Girl Scouts and and sharing the books that you did with us was a huge part of that for us. So I just want to say thank you for that because oh, well, thank you. It you didn't just... tell you didn't tell me that when I was coming onto this that I was going to end up crying. So that's oh, not... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for us, I know the story. The story for us kind of goes that when I was pregnant with Teddy, um, I was before before they did the anatomy scan. I was pretty convinced that I was having a girl. But I also like had these moments of doubt of like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not a girl, but like I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's a girl. Like I just felt like this wasn't masculine energy that I was carrying, if that makes sense. Um, and so when they did the anatomy scan and they're like, oh, congratulations, you're having a boy. I was I was in complete shock. I was just like, oh, Okay. And so like I kind of went through this process of like coming to terms with like, okay, we're going to have a boy. Like and like I just kind of had to do the mental process for myself because I had been so convinced that it wasn't masculine energy. Um, and so for the first couple years of Teddy's life, we really leaned into that. You know, Teddy, Teddy is wants to move and Teddy wants to climb things and Teddy wants to get dirty and Teddy loves trucks and and kicking a ball and like all of the traditional masculine things for little kids and so we just kind of like you know rolled with it and I you know I definitely wasn't like pushing for you know anything feminine if that makes sense I was just trying to let Teddy be Teddy um 
but you know, because we have a daughter, you know, we have plenty of stuffed animals and dolls in the house and, you know, dress up dresses and all these types of things also. And it, it became clear at some point that Teddy, um, was not just masculine energy. And so when Teddy was about three, I started really getting glimpses into Teddy's personality as, as they started to kind of settle into this is who I am. And Teddy would put on dresses and be like, I'm, you know, I'm a princess today and I'm a, you know, a, a mermaid today. And like, you know, all of these things. And then other days be like, nope, I'm a truck driver. Nope, I'm an astronaut. And like, you know, just very back and forth. And um, so we kind of we uh, my partner and I, Jeremy, kind of had a lot of discussions about like, you know, is is Teddy just playing characters or is Teddy like really like rooted in this? Is this is Teddy identifying as a girl or is Teddy just saying I'm a girl because they're pretending to be a girl character? Because that's what it started to be is is I'm going to be I'm a girl. My name is Lily and Lily is a character from a show. And so it's like, you know, wh where is where is there an actual awareness of gender? And so when you came and you gave that talk and you read a book that talked about uh, kids across, you know, all across the gender spectrum, it, it was a lovely book. And it was um, I don't remember what it was called. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. it was read by Michael Hall. Um. You read that. Okay. So you didn't read the one about gender. Courtney must have. Yeah. You read yeah, the one about I the think crayons. That was Courtney. Yes. Okay. So you read the one about the crayons. And that was a really good introduction of, of what you are on the outside is not necessarily what you are on the inside. And it was fantastic. And I loved that book. Um, and then Courtney read one. Um, and it introduced all of these little kids, and they all had different gender identities. And it was just a really like, you know, this is Sam. Sam was born a boy, but now Sam, you know, told everybody that she's a girl. And like, that was it. Like, that was the explanation. It wasn't any, you know, it wasn't earth shattering. It was just very simple, very down to earth, like kid language. They could understand it. And later when we got home that night we were discussing it before bed and I asked Teddy you know Teddy's all snuggled up next to me all curled up and cozy and I was like Teddy you know how did you feel about you know Girl Scouts today and and Teddy's too young to actually be a Girl Scout but Teddy goes to all the meetings and you know participates in the activities and things and I just remember Ted you know me asking you know how did you feel about what Ellie had to say and Teddy was like I liked her she was nice and I was just like, oh, okay. And then Teddy just being like, I liked that book. There was a kid like me in it. They were a boy and a girl, just like me. And I started, I like just burst out crying. Oh. I was just like, this is my three-year-old, my three-year-old verbalizing, being able to have the words right now to tell me this is who I am. I am a boy and a girl. And it was, it was just so clear that like, it just squashed all of those questions of, of is that like, do they actually know what gender is or is this just character portrayal? And it was, no, they, they absolutely, Teddy absolutely understood the difference and absolutely understood what those feelings were. And so for almost a year now, we've just really leaned into letting Teddy be Teddy. And it's, I mean, it's totally become a normal question in our house of just like, so what are you today? Like, what's, you know, what is Teddy today? And Teddy, you know, will let you know, like, oh, I'm a boy today or oh, I'm a girl today. And doesn't always, mostly, but doesn't always dress the typical way you would think that a boy or a girl would dress. Sometimes Teddy is a boy with a dress on and sometimes Teddy is a girl with, you know, clothes that were bought out of the boys section of, you know, Target or wherever. And just seeing Teddy lean into that freedom 
has just been so good. It's been so nice to see Teddy really flourish with that this past, you know, almost year. But I mean, the fact that, you know, you were willing to come and talk to the Girl Scouts and share your story and your journey, like, and opening up that conversation for Teddy and giving Teddy the words to say, this is who I am, like, as a three-year-old, like, I'm 30 and I'm still learning to say, this is who I am, like. <laughs> oh, I, I I absolutely agree. I know. Um, and, it, and it's really interesting to see even the differences between um, my my childhood as well as the differences with my own kids and the world that we're living in. I didn't even realize that the transgender community was a possibility or a thing until I was 43 or no, I'm sorry, until I was 40, and now I'm 43, and, um, you know, it's, it is a whole new world of experience. Um, I knew that there was something different from a very early age, but I didn't necessarily know what, and in the days when I was growing up, and, you know, back in kindergarten, it was, um, it was that I was seen as gay. And so I was very feminine growing up, but didn't it didn't really register that there was anything gender non-binary or not gender non-conforming about me until it came time to to ask those questions and i and through the magic of google um i began to understand that this is who i am yeah and i know there's been a lot of criticism of you know why do we need all of these different labels like why do you have to label it and the thing is is it gives us something to attach ourselves to it gives us a means of describing who we are and how we feel. And I know I went through that journey personally with polyamory. I I struggled for many years with monogamous relationships. And I had long-term monogamous relationships. And, and I just felt this constant struggle of this isn't quite right. This feels grating. But I didn't, I, I couldn't put my finger on what felt wrong until a friend of mine came out to me and said, I'm polyamorous. And I was like, there's a word for this. This is how I'm feeling. And then I found the polyamory community and I was able to, like you, Google's your best friend. And I was able to find more out about that and, and figure out what that meant for me and my family and, and how to dive into that in an ethical way because that's that's a really big part of who like my personal thing is is ethics and honesty and openness and yeah i think i you know there like i said there's there's a lot of criticism why do we need all these labels and honestly if you didn't have those labels like it would be really hard for people to say me too and I think on top of that, we live in a society that is very big on labels and boxes. And in certain instances, that's fine. That's that, that works and that's who we are. But in reality, do we need them? Maybe not, but we do yeah. need them for our society. Um, to give words to an experience because that's how we are are wired right now. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting realm. Yeah. And me personally, I, I've stopped seeing things as one or the other black or white binary. And I, um, I've described this to people before. Um, I have what's called aphantasia. I don't have visual memories, so I can't pull up like 
images in my head, but I do see sort of abstract patterns. Um, And so I've stopped seeing things in like this binary black and white. And instead I see spectrums. So, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the gender spectrum and the, you know, the sexuality spectrum and, you know, even the political spectrum. And so I start seeing it more as um, the way you see a rain, like a true rainbow. It's not broken up into separate colors that are completely distinct from each other. They bleed into each other and they overlap. And, and there are some shades that you know, you're not quite sure, is this really blue or is it really purple? It's just kind of both. And and I think it's beautiful seeing it that way. It is. And I think that that's one of the things that I, that I have had to come to terms with. You know, for myself, my own journey in understanding my own sexual and gender identity, I had to realize that my experience is not necessarily the experience of somebody else that's dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And it really does this, this disservice to try and say, oh, I know this one other trans person and they were like X, Y, and Z. Um, one of the reasons that I didn't come out and identify as trans early on is because the limited experience that I had with trans people were far removed from my own experience. And so I didn't relate to them at all. So it didn't even phase me that, um, that I could be transgender. Yeah. It didn't occur to you because what you had seen through your experience with trans people or even, you know, what we see in the media, I think that's so huge is people talk about, you know, Oh, well, why do we have to see these things in the media? You have to see the spectrum in the media Because for some people, that's their only experience. So not only do we have to see LGBTQ people and people of all colors represented in media, we need to see those people in all kinds of positions, in all kinds of variations of relationships and coming out stories and discovering yourself stories. Because like you said, not everybody's story is the same. It's you know some when when teddy gets older teddy's story is not going to look anything like yours mm-hmm. despite the fact that neither of you are cisgendered people neither of you identify completely with what you were what your parents were told that you were when you were born and and your kids are going to have completely different stories than you do and I, I just, I think about that. And so for me, it's like, how can I make my kid's journey better than my journey was? How can I make it easier on them and more accepting for them? Well, one of the things that I have had to come to terms with was, again, that our experiences are all different. You know, I... um my as soon as I understood who I was and that I was dealing with the transgender experience then for me it was okay throw out all the boy clothes throw out anything that's masculine I am going to embrace my femininity I'm growing my hair out I am getting my nails done I am wearing long flowery dresses and and that was my experience. And I embraced that and I loved that. Um, and that wasn't the case with my middle child. When she came out as trans, I, um, I didn't quite understand why they didn't jump at wanting to be completely feminine. I didn't understand why they didn't want to do the same things that I had been doing in my own experience. And it, and it took me a while to understand, I get that my experience is not going to be the same as yours. So the, the big thing I've discovered is just really being willing to listen, to listen to our experiences and to, and to find common ground. The biggest 
thing that we have in common is that we're all human. We're all taking up space on this earth and we're all living in this community. Um, and that is the most important thing is to listen to each other's stories and see the tapestry that is woven together for our, our society and our community and appreciate that. I love that. I love that you describe it as a tapestry woven together. Like that's absolutely what our community is. And when we connect with other people, even even people we bump into at the store, things like that, we don't know, you know, our strands are touching for a moment, but we don't know how big those moments can be for other people. You know, when when you and I first met, I had no idea how big of an impact that those couple hours were going to have on my kid and on me and on our family because of that. You know, like we just we have no idea going into new meetings with people what what's going to come out of it or how it's going to change us. And I think, you know, um Again, I the the biggest part of that is to listen, to listen to each other's stories and be willing to listen. That has been the constant struggle that I've had since I've since I've come out is getting people to sit and listen to my story and listen to and understand and see me as as human. Um I, I applaud you and I and I am so incredibly grateful that you are raising Teddy in the way that you are because I wish that I had had that. I yep, I feel you. I feel you so much. I um I earlier this year came out to my parents as polyamorous and I um I told them about my other partner who I've been seeing for about nine months now. So like, you know, this is longer term and, uh, you know, it's a solid relationship and being that we met right before COVID started. Um, it feels like we've been together for a lot longer than that now because we've been going through all of this craziness together. Um, but I also have, you know, Jeremy who I've been together with for seven and a half years and, it was very upsetting for my parents. They did not want to hear about my other partner. They did not want to hear about my experiences or how I felt about things. And um, currently, we're not on speaking terms. Um, and and like you said, like it's it's led me to do a lot of reflecting and a lot of what do I wish the people around me, how do I wish the people around me would have responded when I, when I disclosed to them, when I came out to them. And that's what I'm trying to bring to Teddy is. And you know what, what if I think is, is vitally important to understand here. Um, and I understand that this, um, that you deal with parents on this podcast. So if, if you're a parent, I want, I I really want you to pay attention to this. If you hear anything that I'm saying, if your child doesn't come to you for answers, doesn't feel comfortable asking you these questions and you haven't created a space for them to have these conversations, then they're going to find the answers somewhere else. And those places where they get the answers could be disastrous could be risky and could be um could put their own life in danger yeah so case in point i knew from a very young age that i was different that i was feminine and that um i had heard a lot of kids at the playground telling me oh you know daryl you're gay and, and be, having that taunt play over and over for a good majority of my life, I wasn't, in, I wasn't interested in sports other than gymnastics, um, which I thought, you know, that was normal at the time because Mary Lou Retton had just won the gold medal and everybody was, you know, everybody was, was celebrating her. Um, and 
that there were just all of those things that were happening. I found a place to escape it. I found a place where I was, um, where I was welcomed despite my own proclivities to be feminine. And that was within the church. And so I pursued church like nothing else. I found, uh, um, a place in, as a musician in the Catholic church. And, um, right after high school, I left that, um, I left the Catholic faith, um, that I had been raised in and joined the, the evangelical church thinking that it would be a relationship with God that would save me from myself. When that wasn't enough, I pursued that to ministry. And, you know, once I started a family and was working full time trying to overcome this desire in, in me to gravitate towards being feminine, um, I couldn't keep running from it. And I was working full time for a church in the Bay Area. We had moved up there for that job. And, um, when that all came crashing down and I completely burnt out, I was left holding the pieces and looking at my life and going, okay, I have to come face to face with this question now that I've been running from for all of my life. I couldn't turn to my um, church to ask the questions because the, it put my my family at risk. It put my job at risk. We had moved up there for the job. So the only friends that we had were in this church. And so that didn't work. And this was in the middle of the Proposition 8 battle here in California. That was um, a proposition that would have allowed, um, um, that would have legalized gay marriage in our state. And at the time, the LGBT community had become so, um, so angry against those who were working against the cause that they were publicly shaming people who were working in, in realms that, that were working against them. And so I couldn't go to the LGBT community for fear of being outed when I wasn't ready to do that. So the only option I had left was to go and ask those questions in secret in the shadows. And one night that meant um, trying to experiment with strangers. And um, one thing after another, I um, ended up contracting HIV. Um, 10 years later, I was dying of AIDS and it all stemmed from, from that inability to have those conversations and to honestly ask those questions. And so I think that it is vitally important as parents that we provide that space to listen to our kids and to allow them to ask questions and to not be afraid to, to have these tough conversations because the consequences of not being able to are too, too big of a price to pay. They can be devastating. And that scene across the board in the LGBTQ community is the rates of depression and anxiety and suicide are so much higher than basically any other community because there are so few safe spaces for people to come to with with questions or concerns or or safe space for them to figure it out because that's the thing is is it's it's not just questions it's also could I be this or could I be that? And and giving you time and space to figure out for yourself what feels true and authentic to you. Definitely. And to yourself. Like you said, you, you'd been told your whole life, oh, you know, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. Did you ever have a time in your life where you considered, am I gay? Is that? Oh, yes. Yes. Right. So 
so you went through that of like all of these people are telling me this maybe it's true and i remember what was funny was after that experience of of experimenting um i remember in the middle of that experiencing looking at the men and going i i um i'm not attracted to anybody here and wondering and and i remember praying and and crying out to god going god are you are you serious did you create me as the only gay man gay man who doesn't like men i mean what the heck um little did i know that i was um dealing with my gender identity and um i just knew that there was something i i, I just thought that there was something wrong with me and um, that put me into a very deep depression um and that lasted until I was in a spot where my um, my body had been overtaken by the disease. I had been I had carried it for ten years without being without being diagnosed um, and and treated. And um, and I I, I want to add that it's not enough to just say oh you know I'm my kids know I'm accepting my kids know I'm. I'm X, Y, and Z, it is still hard for your kids. It is something that we have to be proactive with because there's, there is such a stigma. There is such a, a fear around, around these conversations. I had been out for, oh goodness, two years and, and transitioning in the, in the process of transitioning and my own kid didn't feel comfortable coming to me to tell me that they were that they were trans. It's it's not just enough to be open. We also have to be having conversations, open conversations about all kinds of things with our kids. I came across a quote that said, you know, listen to your kids and talk to them while they're little because when when they have small problems, because in the end, they were always big problems to your kids. So when they're little and they're upset because you gave them the blue plate instead of the yellow plate, if that's the biggest problem your kid has ever faced in their life, thank God for that. Thank God that that's the biggest problem your toddler has ever had to deal with. But also treat it. As if that's the biggest problem your toddler has ever had to deal with. Create that safe space for them to have emotions and feelings and a difference of opinion than you do. Let it be okay. And and continue that as they grow up. And I am by no means perfect at this. I am human. I am so human. And I make mistakes all the time. But... I just try to approach my kids as much as I can with that grace of you're having a hard time right now. Let's figure it out together. And I hope that as they get bigger, they'll continue to come to me with their problems so we can figure it out together. They'll come to me with their concerns and their questions and and know that I'm here to help them figure it out together. Yes, definitely. You know, I, since coming out, I've been really open about my story and about my experience and, and how all of this has worked together. And I have got to say that one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do was sit with a parent who told me, you know, Ellie, I wish, I, I just wish that I could have a trans daughter instead of a dead one. Her daughter, um, who had come out a few years before, had committed suicide. And even though this mom was accepting, she still didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to hear about it. Um... 
she made sure that her kid knew that she she loved her but it wasn't enough and i never want to sit with another mom like that again to to hear you know i wish i could have it's vitally important to have these conversations and be proactive in them i i couldn't agree more i'm right there with you and all of that is I don't want to live a life of what if, you know? You know what's what's funny is um, I had a relationship with my um, with my youngest that was a parental relationship, like this stereotypical I'm in charge and you know, um, you know, if I said no, it's because I'm the mom. That's why. Um, and it created an environment where they didn't feel like they could talk to me about the things that they had been experiencing, about the things that they had been dealing with. And that absolutely broke my heart when I found that out. And so for the last year, I've spent some time telling them about the, you know, the mistakes I've made, the things that I have done that I'm, you know, I used to be really ashamed of, the shame that I had held on to with that. And I said, you know what, it, we're all going to make mistakes, but at the end of the day, you can always come back to me. And that has radically changed the course of our relationship and and how and how I parent. Um, now, granted, this kid is seventeen, and I have to, I also realize that at eighteen, um, they can go the way of saying, "Well, I'm eighteen. I don't need you anymore. Peace out, and I'm never going to talk to you again." So I want to make sure that they know that they're they have a place to come home to. Um, but you know. That's the most important thing is to make sure that they know that there's always going to be a place where they can come home no matter what. That's that's such an important concept of parents being home, parents being safe space. And we need to normalize being human in front of our kids. I grew up in a household where I never, I don't think I have any memories at all of my parents ever crying, of ever having those human emotions other than outbursts of anger. Mm -hmm. and, and I know some people will think I'm crazy, but Sometimes when I'm crying and I'm upset, I want my kids to be there to hold me and to hug me so I can tell them, you know, it's okay. I'm just having a really hard time right now. And I just, I'm having some big emotions. And I let them sit there with me because they, like, I know some people say, oh, you shouldn't let your kids, you know, take care of you. But I'm also teaching them how to take care of themselves, that it's okay to break down. It's okay to cry and to be upset and to be angry. It's how we, what we choose to do with those emotions and how we choose to interact with other people with those emotions. I'm not sitting there and pouring all of my problems out to my four and my six-year-old that's inappropriate. That's, you know, that's the, you know, they shouldn't be taking care of me. But if they walk into the room and they see that I'm crying, I'm not going to cover it up and say, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because that's the lesson that they're going to learn is that yeah. if somebody sees you crying, you need to cover it up and say, nope, I'm fine. Instead of just saying, you know, I'm having a really hard time right now. Because my kids have learned to respond the same way that I respond to them. Do you want a hug? Would you like to cuddle? Those are those are the things that I do. You know, if they're upset and they're crying, mm -hmm. do you want me to hold you? 
You know, do you want a hug? Should we go, you know, curl up and talk about it? And, and, you know, they're, they're four and six and they're learning to respond that way. So I think we need to normalize being more human in front of our kids and letting them see, you know, more of the range of emotions other than happy, authoritarian, or angry. And I think think a lot of us grew up in households that that's really all we saw. Well, and we also have to work as a community to accept that in each other. Yes. We have um, built a society where it's not okay to show weakness. And that's something that needs to change. Um, I I think about the the faith aspect of where I am as well, and I and I don't know what the listening demographic is, um, but I would venture to guess that there are some of you out there that are that are people of faith, and I at the end of the day. I want us to remember that um, as far as my, my Christianity informs me, that we are all people created and bearing the image of God. And that is vitally, vitally important. Um, I know that there are, are probably lots of questions that, that you might have surrounding the LGBT community and how that how. how how does that work with your faith? I get it. Um, it was something that I did not anticipate whatsoever, but there are resources out there and I'm sure that um, we'll figure that we'll figure some way to get that into the show notes. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you send me resources about that, I can absolutely add that to the show notes for this episode. Definitely. But, but don't for a moment think that, your faith is incompatible with who your kid is. You don't have to choose between your faith and your kid. And if that's where you're at, you're not alone. And it's it's okay to choose both. I love that. I know when I was a kid, I remember somebody telling me, you know, all of the major world religions... When you boil them down, when you strip away all of the excess stuff, they all basically boil down to the same core component. Be a good person. Be the best person you can. That's, that's at the core of all of the major world religions. And, and how they tell you to get there might be a little bit different between the different ones. But that's the core idea. So to me, I'm, I'm not a religious person. It's, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian household. My extended family is very Catholic. Um, you know, I went through my own religious journey of embracing it and then breaking from it. And, you know, slowly I'm coming back to terms with it. But, but basically where I've settled is my goal is to be as good of a person as I can. And to me, that means being accepting of other people and loving other people and, and holding space for them. However, that whoever that looks like for that person. So whether it's, you know, my friends who are in the LGBTQ plus community, or whether it's, uh, you know, my BIPOC friends, it's, it's holding space for them and and letting them know that they are valid and that they are accepted here, that they are loved. Definitely. You know, um, one of my friends at one point asked me, you know, Ellie, what, what can I do as a cisgender straight woman to be a better ally to the trans community? And in reality, it was, I I had to tell her, you know, it's about listening. And it's not just listening to the stories of trans people. It's listening to the stories of the people around us. Because if, 
if in all honesty, if I work really hard for trans rights, but in doing so, leave behind my friends who are people of color, who are dealing with X, Y, and Z, then all I'm doing is is reshifting balances of power. And power is the issue that, that is causing so much of our pain today. We need to be lifting everybody up. And, and the way that we do that is to listen to the experiences of the people around us and to be open to understanding and hearing those and allowing those to change our lives. Because that is, that is religion. And I think I would, I would add an asterisk to that in that it's not just listening with your ears. It's not just hearing the stories so you can regurgitate it. And I think that's what we learn a lot in school is I need to know this information so I, you know, when I'm tested on it, I can give the answers. It's listening with your heart and feeling the emotions of what people went through and being empathetic and and trying to really picture what would it be like if I was in that position? How would I feel? How did this person feel? Because maybe they feel differently than I would have in that position. And and trying to feel those emotions as well. So I'd say not just listening with your ears, but listening with your heart, with an open heart and a willingness to 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 hear it with with your whole body if that makes sense like to really feel it and it begins it begins with us showing our kids how to do that so we can raise up the next generation to be people who are empathetic who listen and listen proactively and create that better world for for the the generations to come and that is um that's all all part of how we decide to parent and those are active decisions that we need to make now so you see what i did there i brought it i brought it all the way full circle to parenting so <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> um so yeah that actually kind of that kind of hits on normally we ask you know do you have any advice or tips but that that is absolutely what you just answered was was it starts with listening um, so Ellie, before, before I let you go, we have a few questions we like to ask all of our guests on the show. Um, so first is what is one thing you will do for yourself this coming week? Oh, I am heading out of town this weekend with my girlfriend. Oh, nice. Yes. A little getaway retreat. <laughs> yes. Well, second, second weekend in a row. So I'm getting spoiled. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I recently went up to Big Bear to stay in a little Airbnb with one of my partners for a long weekend, oh. and it was so nice to just be away for a few days. And, you know, we stayed away from other people. We went hiking. We just hung out. And, like, it was just – it was such a nice recharge to just oh, I know. be out of the house and out of the city for a little while. We went, we went up this last weekend up to um, Yosemite and Oakhurst. We only made it to the top of Wawona um, because of the snow. Mm. Um, but, uh, yes, it was, it was wonderful just to get out of town, away from the 24-7 news cycle. And mm -hmm. it was wonderful to wake up Saturday morning and see the, the news and the headlines on my phone. But uh, other than that, it was... Um, it was a nice news-free um, weekend. Nice. And can you share a success or a funny story from this week? A success. You know, I spent the last year in a pretty contentious divorce. Um, over a year, actually. Almost, almost, oh goodness, almost two years. Um, time flies in 2020, apparently, huh? <laughs> It's either really, really slow or really fast, and it's never I, the same. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, but I this, this it was a very contentious divorce, and um, I've spent so much of this time just angry with my ex-wife, whom I was together with for 20 years. 
And this last weekend, we, you know, I took my own advice and decided that it was a, the time to sit and listen and have a conversation. And that has really opened up the door for healing and has been really, really wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful. I know that can be really, really hard to to make that first move and say, let's talk. I well, listen. quite honest, quite honestly, I didn't make the first move on that. So, even still, <laughs> being willing to accept that first move is—I have to is give credit where really credit is due. De- even even accepting that is a really yes. big deal. So, yes. Thank you so much, Ellie, for coming on to the podcast and talking with me today. I'm so glad to have you on. I always love all of our conversations. Oh, it's it's wonderful. And you have been a wonderful friend. And oh, I look you. forward I look forward to having more conversations with you. <laughs> um, so before we go, um, where can everybody find you? Uh, Instagram, website, any way that our listeners can connect with you that you want to connect. Oh, I was going to say Southern California, but um, no. Um, I am uh, at elliedote.com. That's E-L-L-I-E-D-O-T-E.com. I am actively working right now on um, getting my first book together and published. Um, and I don't have any more details on that because I'm in conversation right now with the publisher and I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be going that route, which would push the publication date out or if I'm going to be self-publishing, which would make it sooner. But um, I'm sure all of that information will be up- updated regularly on my website. Um, I am also on Facebook at elliegirl 77 All right. Perfect. And I will add that to the show notes so our listeners can connect with you on those. And once you do figure out your publishing date and all of that, I would love to have you on the show again to talk about your book. I know personally you've told me um, quite a bit about your story and about um, you know the book you're writing and everything. And I'm, I'm so excited for it. I can't read, wait to read it. And um, I think our listeners could really um, be excited for it and love it too. So I'd love to have you back on the podcast once we're closer to that publication date. Sounds Um, wonderful. I'm also on, I'm also on MySpace, but I don't regularly update that. Oh my gosh. You still have a MySpace. (laughs) I love you, Ellie. (laughs) They were were taking, they were taking signups and I'm like, oh my goodness. I just want to be able to say, you can find me on MySpace. Um, (laughs) because that, that really shows my age. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with me, Ellie. I loved having you. And thank you so much for, for talking about LGBTQ plus and parenting LGBTQ plus kiddos. Of I course. Love it. Thank, thank you. you. It, um, it was wonderful to be had. <laughs> oh, wait, no. That, that's not what it, Never mind. I, <laughs> it was wonderful to be here. Thank you. All thank right. Thank you. See you next time, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.